All right, so I'm going to invite up, uh, Paul to come up. And Paul has served with me for four years at Ambassador Church. We were kind of like comrades at arms. Um, and then uh, we would do office hours. He would do like three times more office hours than me. And uh, one third of office hours I did, I spent most of it in his office distracting him, <laughs> which is why he had to do the other two thirds. Um, but he's been a great friend uh, of mine. He's serving as an army chaplain for... The reserves, and he served as a marine for a few years as well. And uh, love having him. So let's let's ha- welcome him up as he shares the word with us. Thank you, thank you. Um, you know how Wilson just introduced me. <laughs> that actually is going to tie in really well to our. Um, it's okay. Yeah. It ties in really well to what our passage is going to be today. Um, oh, and by the way, the analogy between uh, baptism and wedding, that's, no, that's really good, except for one thing. Uh, I don't think we'll be spending 45000 on on the, on the baptism ceremony. Sorry, but, <laughs> but that's, that's a really great way of looking at it. All right. Um, as, uh, sorry, so yeah, as Wilson's saying, my name is Paul. I, uh, I don't get to come up here very often just because of um, time and, and uh, you know, just a lot of the other commitments, as much as I would, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> just being honest. Um, as a tradition here in Renew, which I know not a lot of services do that, but uh, we like to always start off and I don't always do it, but I'm doing it this time because it serves a great purpose. Um, we don't always start off with uh, a question, but hopefully this works. Yes. So here's my question. So this is pretty much the time, just like sort of like happy family time, but this is a time for you to get to someone, two, three people in little small groups and discuss these two questions. So the first one is, what are the traits of a super Christian? And then the second one is, do you know of a super-Christian in your life? So I'll give you about five, five-ish minutes. So try to get to some point, preferably someone that you don't know, so you can actually use that time to build bonds and relationships here in this community. We'll go ahead and bring it back in. Awesome. Um, I mean, I don't know, unless you want to shout it out. How many, first off, is that, is that a weird question? Yes. It is. So how many of you guys, when you were looking at that, you kept look. I saw a couple, but you kept looking at it, and you're like, how do I answer that? Or it's just like, I don't know how to answer that. And that's kind of how Wilson's questions are, too. Because so. uh, <laughs> I, I do the same thing when, when, um, when a question's put up. I keep looking back at it because I don't know. And then there's a point where if you're not as... Um, I don't know, talkative. It just gets a little awkward because you run out of things to say. But I mean, I hope some of you guys could um, answer that because I was kind of setting you up. That's, um, yeah, setting you up in that the idea of a super Christian, I think it's, it's a, like a false idea or a false dichotomy that is really apparent in our time, uh, in our day and age. And so for me, when I was thinking about what a super-Christian is, 
or what the idea of, of where that term comes up, because I've heard it, maybe not labeled in that way, but when you're talking with someone, whether another believer or just a friend, a close friend, a family member, a parent, um, and you're talking about your life or just something you're doing or something you're thinking or something that's in your heart, and a per that person maybe makes a comment like, why would you do that? Or, or like... Whoa, that's oh, what, what's the term that most people say now? They're like, like that's like oh, that's that's pretty um, like extreme or devout, you know, like that or something like that, you know, like whoa. And then and then what happens is in their mind and even in your mind when you hear that, you're like, oh, really? Like you don't live like that, or or that seems weird to you. This is especially among believers as well, because I think as you're talking with those that are not believers or your friends that you know they don't believe in Christ, uh, most of us, I think, we will tailor or uh, frame our conversations in a way that can relate to them, but it's not like Jesus-y or Christianese. And I'll, I'll expound on that. But the, uh, what that happens, especially among believers, when you're sharing, like, you're about to do missions, you're going to go somewhere dangerous, you got to raise money for something, like, why would you do that? And then that puts you in this position where you're like, oh, you know, you really take your faith seriously. Or, yeah, you're like a super Christian, or you're really, like, devout, and you follow that to, like, to the T or something like that. And what happens then is it creates this level, this, uh, um, yeah, I don't know, this spiritual level where there are those who do these things such as, I mean, some examples that like, reads their Bible every day or goes on missions or prays or, I mean, in, you could even look into the Bible because you probably would see these um, characters that you were taught in Sunday school or even in your own studies, uh, uh, you know, Daniel, like, uh, praying three times a day religiously to the point that even that would mean him being put into the lion's den or something like that. I mean, I cannot set aside three distinct times to pray in my life. I, I would fail miserably if that is what it meant to be a super Christian. But so you have this level of just people who, in one way or another, is defined as extreme or very faithful. And then you have everyone else who are just, I guess, Christians or <laughs> Sunday, Sunday attenders. And then you have, oh, okay, and then you have the bottom one who are like what we call nominal Christians or Easter Christmas Christians. They just come out during Easter and Christmas, and then there's everyone else. So it creates this, yeah, this level that I think is more harmful than good because, one, as humans, I think we tend to measure or gauge where we're at depending on other people. So it does that. And then other, I think, it misses the point of what our faith is and how it looks in our life. Now, to maybe orient us, uh, especially for those that this may be your first time or you haven't been coming in a long time, the book of Philippians is what we've been working through. And I wasn't here this past Sunday, but I was the previous. And we're, we're in the chapter, uh, we're in chapter two of Philippians, and uh, Pastor Wilson, in, two Sundays ago, was, he shared this idea of humility, and as it's exemplified, or how it's been shown 
through Christ's action for us. And in the beginning part of chapter 2 of Philippians, you see this just wonderful, um, in many ways, people believe it was a hymn that they sang. And so Apostle Paul is referring to that in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we have this idea, this picture, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how he has showed humility. And in many ways, Apostle Paul was talking about, in your relationship, that is how we should be with, to one another. Now, I want to clarify what humility is. And I know when, uh, when Wilson, Pastor Wilson was talking about this particular passage, he was, he was uh, emphasizing the idea of unity, that, um, you know, there's, we can try to be, like, diverse, um, which is a goal, is, is just to be as diverse as we can, but in that diversity, showing what God can do by unifying us and how in Jesus we see true unity because we see the Son of God or God himself unifying himself with humanity, taking on the flesh of men and coming and showing the life that in many ways God intended all of us, all of us to live. He created us for that life. Christ then is that true Adam, the firstborn of creation, of the life that we were all created to live before him, unadulterated by sin, where we can have pure and true fellowship, unbroken, unhindered with God and with each other. What a life would look like. Even among ourselves, how many times have we wrestled within our own thoughts, our own hearts, not understanding ourselves even because of sin, that we have layer of layer and layer upon our lives that we don't even know who we are. All of that being shed off to live a life so direct, so purposeful in that way, being in relationship with God and with each other. That's who Christ is. And so this idea of humility then is not, and I, I pose it this way, like in, especially maybe in Asian churches, there's this false humility or yeah, this false humility because it's, it's like, oh, I'm so lowly and you're so much better than me. And oh, you, you want me to stay 10 extra hours and, and scrub the carpet of the church with a toothbrush or I don't know, something so extreme that like, oh, it's like you're just, you're putting people ahead of you or above you, and I, I think that's, that's not right. That's not true. The humility that, that I, I feel Apostle Paul is pointing to, what Christ shows, is going back to Christ's teaching is all the commandments are summed up in this. Love God and love people as you would love yourself. Now, I think there's a part of it like, love myself, but we all do that, whether we know it or not. But how we do that is, I think, what we should understand is that a love for ourself has to be proper in its place. Love for God, love for others as we love ourselves, because if we don't know how to love ourselves, we cannot love people properly. What if my love of self is to, like, I don't know, abuse myself, you know? Then that would show itself to other people. So there's this idea of love of self, but humility then is having a proper view of yourself, not pushing yourself down, not humiliating yourself, not humbling yourself where you're, you see yourself as worse than someone else, but then knowing who you are, knowing your child of God, knowing that love for yourself, but
but then also loving someone in the same way. And in many ways, that is mirroring how God can love me and how God can love a murderer or, I don't know, whatever we would stratify um, as someone who may love God. But he can love us equally in that way. Now, where I'm going with this is in that context, we come to a point of the passage, which is today's passage, in that on surface level, it could be very mundane because we call it the book of Philippians, but in many ways, it was just a letter. An epistle uh, is what they would call it. The Apostle Paul, he verbally was uh, dictating this letter and someone was writing it down. So I, I think as we read the Bible, sometimes we could forget that it was written by human authors, but they were inspired by God. Now, Apostle Paul, yeah, he's, you know, he was this great Pharisee. I mean, he knew the scriptures, and God really met him in a very uh, profound way, if you know his story. So obviously, that letter to the, the believers in Philippi has become part of our Bible has become part of the scriptures that we read, that what we're able to learn and glean from has taught us about Jesus and taught us more fully about who God is and, and, and the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. But it was still a letter that he wrote. And so if you um, can see here, we, starting with verse 19, we see that the Apostle Paul, in this section, he talks about two people. One, is called, uh, one was called Timothy and the other was called Epaphroditus. And for the most part, it's, it's their travel plans. It's pretty much Apostle Paul's travel plans. He's in this letter, this great theological work in which he's encouraging them, he's teaching them about Christ. To the believers there, he, there's this kind of weird section where he's, it's the very practical uh, matter. But in this, as we read this, you're going to start to see Apostle Paul's faith being shown, even though he's not talking about some, you know, like, just as I was reading before, like Christ who, who took on flesh and in and, and, and that way showed us how to live. He's just talking about Timothy. But as we read here, he, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no... Great, sorry. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has, sensed, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So in this part, after Paul just talks about you know, the humility of Christ and the example that Christ shows us. And then last week, from my understanding, uh, Pastor Wilson talked about not grumbling or not complaining and how that can impede our witness as believers, how that can kind of ruin that. Um, in many ways, then, the Apostle Paul talks about these travel plans, but I want us to uh, understand as we go through this and as a theme of Philippians as well, what it means to live for Christ and what it means to suffer for Christ. And so we see, I believe, in this instance of Timothy, in Apostle Paul's mind as he's writing this letter, even though he's talking about his travel plans, he sees as one of his co-workers or one of the people that works with him, his partners, of a person who lives their life for Christ. And in here, he, he talks about it. And I feel in many ways, like as, as, uh, as Wilson, Apostle Wilson, as Wilson 
was introducing me, he was giving me, you a short bio or maybe my credibility as a believer, not as a super Christian, of why I'm even coming up here and sharing. And, and in many ways, the Apostle Paul we see here in this letter, he's kind of building up Timothy's credibility. And I believe that people in Philippi, the believers, they knew who, to, who Timothy was, but in many ways, it served a purpose in this passage or in this letter that Apostle Paul was writing to them of a person who lives their life as Christ. And we can see that here when he talks about... Um, when he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But we see he says about Timothy, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So, you know, we don't know who Timothy is. We don't know much about him. But we do know these things as Paul is writing about him. He's using Timothy and his character of what he knows about Timothy, working with him and partnering with him. He knows that Timothy, in this, in this passage, in his mind, is a great example of a believer who, in many ways, has, has taken on humility or has exemplified humility, just as Christ has in his work of the ministry. Another example that he gives as well that is also very practical is this person called Epaphroditus. Continuing on in verse 25, he says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm not reading ahead of what you're actually seeing. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so at that time when people were in prison, it's not like today's prison uh, here in America where the, the, the prison and the government, I guess, provides the food and clothing for prisoners. Uh, at that time, if you don't have people on the outside to provide your food and clothing, I guess you would just starve because the government or the Roman government or whatever, there's maybe prisons like that in this day and age in other countries. Um, if you don't have that support network, if you don't have family friends who are coming and visiting you and giving you food and meeting your medical needs or your clothing, then you're just kind of screwed. And in many ways, the believers, not only Epaphroditus, but we know other believers, as P Apostle Paul, he was the church planner or the spiritual father of many of these believers, and they knew of his situation, that he was imprisoned in Rome, he was awaiting trial. They would send, other, they would send one of their own to go and to minister to Paul, meeting his physical needs and being there with him. But this particular person, Epaphroditus, apparently we see in the passage that he got deathly ill, and word of that reached the believers in Philippi. So obviously you can imagine in a day where we don't have text messaging, or at that time where they didn't have text messages and even emails, and the only form of communication was really a, a courier who would um, you know, take a letter or word of mouth. As the believers in Philippi, if they heard Epaphroditus was uh, deathly ill, they would not know, you know, what's his status? Did he die? Is he okay? And, and Epaphroditus, I guess, they, they, in many ways, I, I guess the 
a close example is like when an emergency happens or like you know a school shooting or something. Normally, we have instant communication. You could see that, but it's like you have someone who's a loved one. Sorry, who, who's a loved one, and they're in a situation. And normal communication, whether phone or text message, you don't have it, and you have absolutely no idea what's going on. Are they alive? You know, did they get hurt? That sense of anxiety is the sense of anxiety that Apostle Paul is talking about. Because of, one, the anxiety of those people not knowing what's going on with Epaphroditus. And even Epaphroditus and Apostle Paul knowing that they don't know, it's like no one knows what's going on with him. And so because of that reason, we see that Apostle Paul in this letter, because we know Epaphroditus is going to be the one who's going to deliver this letter most likely to them, he felt it best to send that, that person to him. But what we can see about Epaphroditus and what Apostle Paul talks about him is that, in, especially here in verse 30, he says, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves cannot give me. I think it's telling because when we talk about our faith or the Christian life, in many ways, it's, I'm not sure if it's taboo, uh, but suffering is a part of our lives. Christian life, especially. As humans, we are marked by suffering because unless you're really able to control your surroundings and your circumstances, you can buffer your cash balances or whatnot. I mean, even health, you do your best. I mean, we're human and we're going to face suffering. But how that suffering relates to us or the purpose of that suffering takes on much, much more meaning as a believer, as a Christian, because we know, especially through Scripture, what God says, that he works for the good of us. And that purpose of why he works good for us is that we would be then become like Christ. So that at that point, we could say, regardless of our circumstances, that God's purpose ultimately is that he would shape, form, mold us through good and bad to make us more like Christ. And we see here, though, the suffering that you would, we will face and that you could face is part of our Christian faith. And so even Christ, who suffered even unto death on a cross, I think as Apostle Paul is writing and referring to Epaphroditus, he sees a correlation that this man who the, the believers of Philippi sent to meet his need became gravely ill, almost died in doing the work for God. How does this then um, you know, relate to us? Because unless, I don't know, here in this passage, you can see the Apostle Paul, he's this apostle, he's this church planner, this great missionary, and Timothy, one of his, his, his co-workers and, and his, like, uh, a pastor himself that he would send to check up on churches and also to relay news, Epaphroditus, who's doing the work of ministry for the, on behalf of the believers of Philippi, we see this, and uh, I don't know, unless maybe you have a lifestyle that mirrors that, you're like, mm, okay. So it's easy for these people to display what, the life, what a Christian life can look like or what it means to suffer for Christ. But I, that's referring back to that, that picture of what a super-Christian is. Because are these guys super-Christians? Is this lifestyle extreme? Or is this just people who happen to be, there was no such thing as professional ministry at that time or in like missionaries and stuff. They were just living out their faith and God was using them to spread the gospel to these people. But how is God using us now? How then can we see what living our life 
living a life in Christ or suffering for Christ can look like. I, I kind of re- referred, uh, like briefly, you know, pointed to it or, or mentioned it, but I could see it in many ways in our lives here and now. For those who are students, for those who are dating, for those who are married, for those who are parents and have children, for those who are going through a divorce, for those who are single parents with children, for those who are broken, lost, lonely, for those who are trying to seek meaning or purpose in their life, trying to make sense of the circumstances in their life. Um, As a believer, our life, as we cling to Christ, our life is defined by that relationship with Christ. As human beings, we were born by someone or we were birthed by someone. We all have mom and dads, unless you're a clone, you know? We all have mom and dads. We were all defined, our last names in many ways is a definition of our relationship to our parents and our siblings. And even I know in this crazy world with mixed families and stuff, still we are defined by our relationships. You take on someone's last name. I don't know anyone who only has a first name, unless you're a celebrity. But even they have a real name with a last name. We are all defined by our human relationships. With that type of thinking being defined by our mother, father, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncle, the legacy that they live, that we live here now, in the same way, we are defined by our spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. The legacy of all the believers, Apostle Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Peter, all of them, 2,000 years later, we live that legacy now because we have that relationship with Christ. And that relationship defines our lives. There's no such thing as super Christians, nominal. Well, you know, it's really, the idea is, as you walk with Christ, your life is defined by that. And that's why people would say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It can be a religion. You can make it into religion. If coming to church is just a matter of hearing the word, singing songs, or if it's just a matter of knowing these certain principles and truth, that would be the extent of your religion. And that is a religion. I work in the military, and so Christianity is defined as a religion. You have to be a sponsored religion. You can't be, you know, you know the religion of Paul. And I can't go and go in the military and start preaching my own, you know, I am a Messiah. It, it won't work that way. It has to be recognized by people. So Christianity is a religion, but it can be so much more. It can be what we learn and what we hear. It could be a living act of God, the creator of the universe, who created us, and then who came as a baby. It's, it sounds funny. If I tell this to a non-Christian, it just sounds like a, a crazy myth. But a lot of people know this, but who came as a baby, virgin through a virgin. He lived here. He walked among us. He showed and taught us. And then he was crucified by the Roman government. And then three days later, he died, or he rose again from the dead. And is alive here and now. And not only that, he gave us his spirit. So that in, in many ways, all of us, if you know a little bit of the Old Testament, 
that temple that the Jews only, like, that was a symbol of God's presence among them. He filled the temple with his presence. But we become that temple, and his spirit comes and fills us. And I think when it, this idea of super-Christians, too, it, it's this idea of a pursuit of perfection. And in many ways, that perfection can become our idol. Because we know, and Scripture says, be holy for God is holy. But I think it, that in itself, or even ministry, like being a pastor or a church planner, if that's taken away from your relationship with God, then that's all you're doing. Yeah, you may be doing good work. You may be preaching about God. But I think above all other callings or purposes, the one thing that God really calls us to or first calls us to is that relationship. We're not called to be perfect. We're all fallen. Timothy, Paul, I mean, if you knew them, if you worked with them, you would see their traits. You would see their weaknesses. And I think the more and more you actually walk with Christ and get to know Christ, you see more of your weaknesses, but it's not a condemnation onto you. It's a desperation knowing that, man, I just need to cling that much more to Christ because without him, I have no alternatives. And a life like that is a life that looks different, a life that looks that when you're writing letters, when you're talking to others, yeah, I guess it could be Christianese or it could just be you. It could be your heart. An example that I, that I could think of is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian and pastor during World War II. Now, he, um, he's known for that, but then he's also known as, uh, like he was part of this German resistance that were trying to assassinate Hitler because of the situation. What, what happened is a lot of, you know, Germany got overtaken by Nazism and that whole nationalism. A lot of people were just going along with that bandwagon. And the church also, a large portion of that was going with it. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the leaders of what he called the confessing church in Germany, where they were trying to not go along with the Nazi government, trying to stand for truth of what the gospel says, even in light of that environment back in World War II. So he was part of the German resistance to try to, you know, assassinate Hitler. If you know that movie, like, Valkyrie and stuff, it's kind of like that. that stuff like those plots he was a part of with these German army officers who were, uh, intelligence officers who were trying to overthrow Hitler and end the war. He, got, he gets caught and he gets put into prison and he's awaiting his trial. And during that time, he wrote these, these great, like, theological works that are novels today, like Ethics and... Another one that, I'm sorry, it, it escapes my mind. But another one, because he, he's in prison, and he's this person in history, and he's a human being. He wrote these letters to his family, to a, a woman that, my, I'm not sure if he proposed to her before he actually was put in prison or while he was in prison that he proposed to her. And he had a really good friend, and he wrote personal letters to them. And in these letters, it's compiled as a book. I think it's called, like, Letters from Prison. In these letters... Uh, a lot of the critiques was it from people is like, it's so boring. Like, it was so hard for them to get through it because they know Dietrich a little bit and they know, like, man, he was one of the greatest theologians of, of, of that time. But in these letters, he's like, hey, mom and dad. Well, it's not like that. This is my transliteration. So it's like, because it's German, you know, but um, he's like, hey, mom and dad, I ran out of pipe tobacco. Can you please send me some? Or, you know, it's getting a little cold, you know. And, but interspersed with some of these letters that were only practical about life, 
they have these other letters to like his fiance or to his best friend. And out of that, you can draw a man or you could see a man in a situation. He's in a Nazi prison at that time during World War II's raging on. And you see him write his life and his faith in his letters. And, um, you know, this past Thursday, I, uh, Tiffany and I, we, we had the pleasure of, of visiting uh, Wilson and Nina at their house. And I cleared this by them. But, uh, you know, they, they just moved in, and, and so they have, like, their picture frames and stuff, but there was one that they didn't hang yet, and it's this really long picture frame. And in it, it has these, their, their pictures of their wedding day, and then it has Wilson's vows and Nina's vows. And I picked it up, and I just started reading their vows to them. <laughs> so it was very, I think, embarrassing, perhaps. To, and I, oh, I cleared this by Nina, too. So, you know, and I don't remember the vows, so you guys won't know what they're saying, but, unless you were there. But um, I'm reading their vows to them, and I'm pretty sure there's a sense of, like, oh, we were so naive, or this is a little embarrassing, or I failed in that vow. That's what Wilson was saying for all of his, <laughs> well, up to a certain point. Um, but reading their vows, you see people who is not, it wasn't just a marriage. It was, it was their faith lived out in their marriage. Their, their testimony, their vows, not only to each other, not only between Nina and Wilson, but their vows to God for their marriage. And so you see two people, Wilson and Nina, in their vows, a very special moment where it could have all been, you know, for better and for worse, all that, but you see how Jesus is in their lives, and you could see it in their vows. Um, so that's not too embarrassing, Wilson. For me, I, I found, I, I don't know, like in this day and age we have emails, but I think more people use Instagram and text messages. Have you ever gone back and read through some of these conversations that you may have with uh, a dear brother or sister in Christ. I would hope that, yeah, you know, I cannot achieve this level of theology and stuff, and that's not my intent. I think God used Apostle Paul to give us the word that we have today, but how does our faith look out? And one of the ways that we can see it is in, in how we interact with each other. And yes, I know, like, it may not look like that, But it should show itself in one way or another because as we walk with him, it's as, it's as if we're walking with him side by side. So our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, I would hope that that's the spirit as it's working in our lives, it would show itself in our relationships with our unbelieving mother and father. How, how hard that is. And I confess too, as a, you know, as a army chaplain, um, you're only supposed to have one chaplain at a unit, but for the beginning half of this year, they assigned another chaplain. And, you know, sorry to say, because, you know, we're, we're both believers. I mean, not all chaplains are Christians, but we happen to both be Christians. And you would think that'd be great, but it's not. It's hard, you know? It's super hard, and I struggled with it so bad. Man, I, yeah, it was, it was really, really difficult. And because there's cultural dynamics, that person also happened to be Korean and older than me, uh, higher rank than me, but they're, they're new coming in, but I've been at this unit for, now this is my third year going in, so I know a little bit more in, in many ways, but that person is a higher rank than me, and so all of a sudden, like, there's just all these dynamics. And 
you know, going there and serving there is hard to begin with, but now like 90% of my time is spent talking with this other chaplain to come to an understanding of how to work with one another and how to be in relationship in many ways. And it just killed me. And so I disliked even, even going more. But I had to, you know, I had to recognize one that, like, you know, there's a part of me that's like, God, what's going on? This is already hard. But now it's gotten even harder. But I had to recognize that God was doing something. God was doing something through that situation, whether I knew it or not, but he was doing something. And then I had to trust him. I had to pray to him. And so I know that it works in many ways, let me say, as a testimony to you. I'm not just telling you a concept. I'm telling you that I am a human being, and my pride is there, and I cannot get rid of my pride because I could feel the way I feel, but I can only say, God, I know in this situation, this is tough, and it's, it's like eating me up. I need your help. And so eventually, like, it, it did get easier, and the person didn't change. It's not like, like it was just miraculous, it was me. I had to swallow my pride or humble myself and have a right view of myself. I had to gain the humility of Christ. And I just had peace because the, the week, last week I wasn't here, it was one of the most horrible drill or training sessions ever. We were up north and it was raining on us and now I know how it feels to be homeless and wet with wet socks because our boots are made for the desert and not for the rain and soaked, and cold, and actually still doing things like breaking down tents or setting them up or helping others who were getting hypothermia and stuff like that. You know, it sucked. And still in that midst, I was working with this chaplain. But surprisingly, for some reason, I just had peace. And you'll see that word in this passage as it goes further on. The idea of a peace that surpasses understanding. And I know that in many ways is God's grace for me to get through that situation. I want to close also with this letter, this email that I wrote to my wife, Tiffany. This was back in June of 2014. This is when I was doing my annual training, which is longer than a weekend. It was about two and a half weeks or two weeks. And this was my first year in the Army Reserves as well. So, sorry, Tiff, I didn't clear this by you. <laughs> yeah, I had to, I had to scrounge my, uh, my email, um, you know, archives. <clears throat> I wrote this on uh, June 12, 2014. So do not, well, you could compare it to this, the, to the epistle, the letter written to the believers of Philippi, but it won't be like that. I wrote, hey babe, how was your day? I hope it was good. Today was a rough day for me. It seems like it is getting harder and harder. I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed at times by the darkness over here. To be honest, there are times where I feel like I would like to quit this. It is challenging. Please pray for me as I am getting heat rashes all over my body, not only on my legs. If you remember all those little bumps around my ankles the last time that I kept on scratching, I have those all over me now. Sad face. <laughs> Still, there are flashes of moments where I feel used by God. I especially was encouraged with the text that you sent me on Colossians 1, 9 through 12. That was just what I needed to be reminded out here. I have been getting to know more of the soldiers out here and also learning the type of person our battalion commander is as well. The troops work hard out here, but, feel they, but I feel they are pretty beat up. 
I can see it in their faces. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. I pray the Lord will give me strength. Thank you for your support. I feel this is sort of when I went to Iraq before, but actually I have you in my life now and that I can say I love you. Sorry, happy face, <laughs> Paul. So I wrote that actually, I found this, yeah, I, I wrote this, because we don't write emails anymore as much back in like the early 2000s or late 90s. No one does emails like this anymore, I guess. It's all text messages and Instagram. So I was able to find this and, you know, oh, it's, it's not, oh, I'm a super Christian now. No, no, this is my faith. And I, I was able to capture that and write it out. And in many ways, that's our lives too. It might not be emails, it might not be text messages, but those are great to help document how God is using you, how God is transforming us to be like him. I would hope that even in this mundane letter of the travel plans, we see that the Apostle Paul, in all of his things, he refers to Christ. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come. I hope, therefore, to send him. Not a hope as in, oh, I hope this happens, but I hope in Christ, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, it can be Christianese. And, you know, obviously, like I said, I don't go to soldiers and I don't say, hey, you know, like, Jesus loves you. I know some chaplains would do that, but that's just not my style. I have to build trust and relationship. And in those moments of darkness or when they need the word of wisdom, how I present that has to be in a way that brings truth and light to their lives. And in many ways, yeah, I mean, Christianese, I call it Christianese is because it has no thought behind it. How are you doing? Oh, the Lord knows. You know, I'm feeling great in the Lord. It can be that. So I, I know I'm making fun of it, but that's, you know, and then people roll their eyes. But if that is what God is doing, if it's true and not just words. If you know even in your darkest moments and in your greatest struggles that we're not called to perfection, we're called to a relationship, the one who will perfect us and bring that to ultimate glory on his return, that is what we're called to. Just like these guys who, who were living their life for, for God, for Jesus, and suffering and almost dying for Jesus, that's not extremism. That's faith. That's a relationship because you know it's real and that's the reality you live and walk in. As we accept Christ and even as we come to church, you know, the purpose of that is not just to come to church because that's what we're supposed to do. But the two things that are eternal, as I like how Justin said, for billions and millions of years, you know, and as you guys get to know each other, yeah, you're going to have run-ins. The, the whole thing of Philippian is this idea of relationships and how these relationships become the ground or the arena in which our faith is displayed to one another. You will, as you enter the family of God, not only is your relationship with God eternal, millions of years, but our relationship with one another because our souls are eternal. And if we're in the same family, we'll know each other for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... I thank you, Father, for the life of your word, not as just a historical document, not as just what happened in your church past, but the word of life, the word of truth for our lives today. 
and in our interactions with one another and even in our relationship with you. That these words can be life for us. That we can see you and know you and be approved by you through your spirit who lives in us. That it testifies and that's what our faith is. That yes, we can try to prove you and there are ways in which people have done that but there's something that cannot be shaken which is our relationship to you. When we know that and we know that that's the real reality, the true reality, the true purpose, regardless of what else you have called us to do, the work of ministry, the work of life, of caring for others, raising our children, loving our husband and wives, being good children to our parents, all of that, Lord, you are the foundation. You are the true purpose that it is to shape us to be like you to live the life that you've created us to live. I pray, Father, always that you would constantly encourage us and strengthen us because we cannot do this without you. Help us to cling to you and learn you more and more because it starts always with you and you spread that joy, that life, that purpose, that new reality in all of our relationships, both to those who believe in you and to those who don't. We pray this all in your name. Amen.